you ever feel overwhelmed? Life and circumstances and events that you just think, this is just about more than I can bear. I feel that way sometimes. I, I felt that way today. Um, I started feeling overwhelmed almost as soon as I woke up. And, and I can't really say there's anything major going on in my life or with our family or anything along those lines, but it just, it all hit me hard this morning. And I felt just like it was too much, I guess. I don't know how you respond when you feel overwhelmed, but my tendency is to do one of two things. I either fantasize about maybe running away or, or I just kind of shut down. And by shut down, I mean, I don't mean like I just lay in bed and suck my thumb, but I, I just try to escape. I just want to sit on the couch and watch TV. I just want to piddle on social media. I want to watch YouTube videos. Just, just do things that aren't important, but enough to distract my mind from thinking about all of the things that are overwhelming me at the moment. And so today I was trying hard not to respond this way by praying. And strangely enough, when I feel overwhelmed, praying is often the hardest thing for me to do. Now, I know it's what I should do, and it is what I try to do, but it is one of the most difficult times of my life to pray is when I feel so overwhelmed. And this is the case despite the fact Scripture, I think, teaches that when we feel overwhelmed, that should drive us to God. And this isn't the passage we're going to look at tonight, but it's a passage I, I thought of. Uh, and, and the psalmist says, Hear my cry, O God, attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth I will cry unto thee when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And it was the phrase, heart that is overwhelmed, that kind of stuck with me when I was looking at that verse because that's exactly how I have felt most of the day today. And, and like the psalmist, feeling overwhelmed should lead us to cry out to the Lord. And this is a critical truth to keep in mind because we all have problems. And at times we will probably all be overwhelmed or feel overwhelmed by our problems. So tonight I, I want us to look at a passage showing us how to pray. How to cry out to God in those times when we feel overwhelmed. Open your Bible to 2 Kings 19. We're going to start in verse 14. That should be on page 300 in your pew Bibles. When you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Second Kings 19. And 14. And Hezekiah received the letter at the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, God of Israel, which dwelleth between the cherubim, thou art God, even thou alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, thou hast made heaven and earth. Lord, bow down thine ear and hear. Open, Lord, thine eyes and see. Hear the words of King Sennacherib, uh, which hath sent him to reproach the living God. Of a truth, Lord, the kings of Assyria have destroyed the nations and their lands, and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were no gods but the works of men's hand, wood and stone. Therefore they have destroyed them. Now therefore, our God, I beseech thee, save us 
Save thou us out of his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord God, even thou only. The title of the message is Praying When You Feel Overwhelmed. Let's pray. Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome. You are worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. Help us tonight to lay aside the cares of life, the things that may be overwhelming us at this moment, so that we can take this time and hear what you have for us. Lord, as Paul wrote, all that was written in Scripture was written for our learning. So through the patience and comfort of Scripture, we could have hope. So tonight, let your word be that for us. Tonight, as we study your word, let it give us hope. Let it give us comfort. Let it give us strength. Let it enable us to cry out to you in those times when we feel overwhelmed. And let the peace of God, which passed all understanding, come guard our hearts through Christ Jesus. Fill me tonight with your Holy Spirit. Give me clarity of thought, clarity of speech to say what you want said. Nothing more, nothing less. Help me not to be a hindrance in any way. God, in all aspects of the service, help us to put the word into practice, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. King Hezekiah had an overwhelming problem. The king of Assyria had taken it upon him to come and attack and conquer Judah. Now, the king of Assyria had a much larger army than what Judah had. In fact, the Assyrian army was so large that he sent a messenger to tell Hezekiah that if Hezekiah could find 2,000 horsemen, he would give him 2,000 horses to get on and to go and fight. The implication being Hezekiah didn't have 2,000 horsemen to put on the 2,000 horse. And so the... The messenger basically said, if you can't do something that small, then how can you even expect to stand up against the least of the captains of my king? How could he expect to defend against the might of the Assyrian army? Now, the king of Assyria did several things to try to intimidate Hezekiah, and one of which was he told Hezekiah not to let the God he trusted in deceive him. After all, the king said, Assyria had conquered many nations, And their gods were not able to stop them. What made Hezekiah think the God of Israel could do more than the God of the other nations? Now the latter part of this threat came in the form of a letter. The letter that Hezekiah has just received in verse 14. And what we're looking at is how Hezekiah responds to this problem. And it was an overwhelming problem because... The king of Assyria, if he set his mind to come and conquer Judah, the king of Assyria would come and conquer Judah. There was no one on all the earth that could stop him. Hezekiah had somewhat of a a, a tenuous, I guess you would say, treaty with Egypt. And the king of Assyria said the king of Egypt was useless against him because he was so powerful. And the king of Assyria was correct. There were no kingdoms on the earth at this time who could stand up against the Assyrian army. He was overwhelmed and like the psalmist in Psalm 61, his overwhelming problem drove him to cry out to God. And this is what we must do as well. Overwhelming problems should cause me to cry out to God. Now, that's a pretty basic thought. We should pray when we have problems. There is something different about crying out as there is about just what you might say normally praying about a problem. 
There is something different about crying out when we're overwhelmed. That we learn from Hezekiah that we should practice in our lives. Hezekiah shows us three ways to cry out to God when we're overwhelmed. First is spread the problems before the Lord. Now, verse 14, I love the way it reads. It's one of the reasons I love this passage. Hezekiah receives the letter from the hand of the messenger. He reads it. He goes to the temple, to the house of the Lord, and he spread it before the Lord. Right? He is opening the letter up and kind of saying, look, God, look at what they said. Look at the problem we have. Uh, I think that's a, a great picture of, that Hezekiah takes there. And then when he prays in verse 17, he says, of a truth, Lord, the kings of Assyria have destroyed the nations and their lands, have cast their gods in the fire. Uh, for they were not gods, but the works of men's hands and stone. Therefore, they have destroyed them. Right? When you look at verse 14, him laying it before the Lord, and the way he prays in verse 18, you see Hezekiah is brutally honest about the problem. Right? He's laying out, here's what he says. And, and he's telling the truth, God. There has not been another nation or another God on all the earth who has been able to stop the king of Assyria. If he comes here, he will absolutely and utterly destroy us exactly as he says. Right, This crying out Hezekiah is doing as he's overwhelmed, it's not the time to act spiritual. Right, he's not praying in front of other people so they will hear him and say, what an inspiring prayer. Now, this isn't the time to pretend like it's not that big of a problem. This isn't the time for him to pray in such a way that communicates, I can probably handle it, but you know, God, if you want to get involved, that would be okay too. This was a time for him to lay it all out on the line, spread it all out before the Lord, and be brutally honest about the facts. And the facts, the brutally honest facts in this situation were, the king of Assyria planned to come to Jerusalem and conquer it. The king of Assyria had such a powerful army, if he came to Judah, he would conquer it. And if God did not intervene, Judah would not only be attacked, they would be conquered and they would be enslaved. Those were the brutally honest facts, and that's what he lays out before the Lord. When we are overwhelmed and spreading our promises, our problems out before the Lord, it is the time for us to be brutally honest about it. It's not the time to try to, to pray the right words. It's not the time to try to sound uber spiritual. It's not even really the time to say all the things maybe we were taught to say in Sunday school in praying. This is a time when it is us and God and we are laying it all out on the line. Our raw emotions are coming out. This is what's going on. This is overwhelming me. I feel I'm going to drown under the weight of this problem. Right? It isn't the time to say, God, you know about the problem I got. Could you help me with it? Right? This is a time to be specific and, like I said, ruthlessly honest. My marriage is falling apart and I can't stop it. My kids are destroying their lives and I can't help them. I'm so depressed, all I want to do is sleep and I just can't shake it. I'm so overwhelmed all the time from the moment I wake up to the moment I go to bed, I feel like I'm having one giant panic attack. I don't understand why all this is happening in my life right now. Whatever the problem, there has got to come a time in our lives 
when we spread it out before the Lord like this and state the brutal facts of the situation. Now, it's not just Hezekiah who does this. This is a common picture in Scripture. Look over at Psalm 69, page 443. Psalm of David. David is so great and the Psalms are so good because David expresses this very well. Notice how David expresses his problems to the Lord, how he lays them out. Psalm 69 and 1, Save me, O God, for the waters come up to my soul. I sink in the mire where there is no standing. I'm coming to the deep waters where the floods overflow me. I'm weary of crying. My throat is dry. Mine eyes fail while I wait for my God. They that hate me without cause are more than the hairs of my head. They that would destroy me, being mine enemies wrongfully, are mighty. When I Then I restored that which I took not away. O God, Thou knowest my foolishness and my sins are not hidden from You. Now, just think about the way David expresses himself. He feels overwhelmed. He feels like he's drowning. And there's nothing he can do to save himself. It almost pictures the more he works, the deeper he sinks. There's nothing he can do to make it better. He feels as though his problems are a flood overwhelming him. He has more enemies than the hairs of his head. His enemies are not just disliking him, they are seeking to destroy him. His enemies are mighty, it says. Now this could mean that they are many, or it could mean that they are important. But either way... They are lying about Him. They are defaming His character. So He has to make restitution for something He has not even done. And then in verse 5, I think is also really important. Thou knowest my foolishness and my sins are not hidden. David not only spreads out his problems, but also his sins. David didn't pretend to be perfect. He was just as brutally honest about his sin, which may have caused some of his problems, as he was about His problems. We also need to be just as honest about our sin as we are about our problems. Now, this isn't to say our overwhelming problems are always the cause of our sins. But sometimes they are. And when they are, we need to be just as brutally honest in confessing our sin... And our part in the problem as we are about confessing all the rest of it. Right? Brutal honesty, spreading it all out, it requires us to spread it all out. Not just the parts we might want to. We have to deal with the problems, we have to deal with our sin, we have to lay it all out. Now, two more things before we, close, before we move on. In verse 3... David talks about crying, and I'll get to that in a second. But notice, mine eyes fail while I wait for God. David has apparently been praying a while. This has not been something that was done quickly. He has spent a good deal of time crying out to the Lord, waiting on the Lord. And in that time, he says, he is weary of crying. His throat is dried. His eyes fail. To me, the picture of his eyes failing... It's more like his eyes hurt. Have you ever cried so much 
your eyes hurt from crying. I think that's the picture we're supposed to see from this. There is nothing wrong with crying as we cry out to the Lord and spread our problems out before Him. Something I read today referred to crying in prayer as liquid prayers. Right, listen to this from Charles Spurgeon based upon Psalm 6-8 which says, The Lord hath heard the voice of my weeping. Spurgeon says, It is sweet to know that our tears are understood even when words fail. Let us learn to think of tears as liquid prayers and weeping as a constant dropping of importune intercession which will surely wear its way right into the very heart of God's mercy despite the stony difficulties which obstruct the way. My God, I will weep when I cannot plead for you hear the voice of my weeping. I love that. Right? When we cry as we pray, the Lord hears and the Lord understands even when we cannot form the words. Now, Hezekiah's prayer and his dependence and his helplessness on the Lord, it reminded me of Jehoshaphat's prayer in another place. Second Chronicles 20 and 12, Jehoshaphat prayed, O our God, without not judge them, for we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Neither we know what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. Now, it's a very similar situation uh, of what's going on with Hezekiah. But I, I like the idea, one, he is laying it all out. We have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Right? It's that same sort of brutal honesty. We can't do it. We can't help it. There's nothing we can do. But what I like best are the last two lines. Neither we know what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. I mean, doesn't that express our heart in prayer at times? We know, we know God has an answer. We know God will do something. But man, we don't have a clue what we're supposed to do. We don't know anything. I mean, we can't even imagine. And maybe like David in Psalm 69, we've tried. And the more we've tried, the worse we've made it. And so we have no idea what to do, God. We're just, we're just going to look to you. We're just going to wait on you. We're going to keep our eyes on you. When we're overwhelmed and when we're desperate for God's help, we have to spread it out before the Lord. Go ahead and turn back to 2 Kings 19. Uh, one last thought before we move on to the next point. This kind of prayer really is hard work. This isn't so much the kind of Dear Lord, take care of this. Amen kind of prayer. Crying out to the Lord. Laying it all out before God. Doing the rest of what we're going to talk about. It does take time. Now I can't give you the amount of time it's supposed to take. Hezekiah's prayer seems relatively short. David's psalm implies there was lots of time. So how much time do we take in crying out to the Lord and spreading it out before Him? The best answer I can give you is as much time as it takes. If it can be done in 15 minutes, then be done in 15 minutes. If it takes an hour, take an hour. But this isn't the kind of thing you can rush. You can't put God on your time schedule and say, God, I have from 8.45 to 9 o'clock and then at 9 o'clock I've got to move on. So you need to hear and you need to give comfort and peace and then I'm going to move on with my day. God doesn't typically work like that. 
So if we're going to cry out to the Lord because we're overwhelmed, we need to block out time and spend as much time as it takes laying it all out, crying out, our, pouring out our hearts and our problems, our concerns, our fears, our, our anger, our disappointments, everything, just lay it all out. And I don't know any other way to tell you if you're through except you'll know when you're through. You just, whew, I'm through. And you do it until you get to that point. Overwhelming problems should cause us to cry out to God. And crying out to God includes spreading out our problems before Him. Secondly, confess God's power. Verse 15 through 18, Hezekiah confesses his confidence in the power and the greatness of God. Hezekiah prayed before the Lord in verse 15 and said, O Lord God of Israel, which dwelleth between the cherubims, thou art God, even thou alone. Of all the kingdoms of the earth, thou hast made heaven and earth. Lord, bow down thine ear and hear, open thine eyes and see. Hear the words of the king of Assyria, which hath sent him to reproach the living God. Of a truth, the kings of Assyria have destroyed the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were no gods but the works of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they have destroyed them. Now therefore, our God, I beseech thee, save thou us. Out of his hand. But his descriptions of God in these first couple of verses are all, they are all confessions of the greatness and the power of God. The God of Israel who dwells between the cherubim. It's a reference to the glory of God which would often appear in the mercy seat between the cherubim whose wings were stretched over the ark. He was talking about the glory and the greatness of God. He goes on to say, God is really the only God there is. He is the creator of heaven and earth. The other nations were, yes, they were tossed into fire their gods, but that's because their gods weren't really gods at all. Yahweh was creator of all there is. The other gods were creations of the men who dreamed them up. Since this is the case, the great and awesome God Hezekiah serves can take care of this problem. He confesses a, a total dependence upon God in verse 19. I beseech thee. Now therefore, O Lord our God, I beseech thee, save thou us. I mean, he knows if God does not intervene, they're going to lose. They're going to be conquered. They're going to be overthrown. Everything is going to fall apart if God does not intervene. Hezekiah was confessing that God and God alone could make a difference. In this situation. And we, we all know. The importance of trusting God. In times like this. But there is something powerful. About verbalizing this trust. There is something powerful. About verbalizing the power of our God. And his ability to take care of whatever our overwhelming problem may be. In, in a lot of ways. Verbalizing God's power like this is a matter of focus. Hezekiah had an enormous problem. One that was far bigger than his ability to fix. And in his prayer he could do two things. He could spend the whole time focusing on the size of his problem. Or he could focus on the power of his God. 
Now, he confessed the problem. He laid it all out. He didn't minimize it. But he chose to make the focus of his prayer the power of God. As individuals, as, as a church, when we pray, we have the same choice in what we focus on when overwhelming problems arise in our lives. We can focus on the problem and just talk about how big it is and how terrible it is and what's going to happen if it doesn't. I mean, and that's all we do. Or we can talk about the greatness and the power and the majesty, the sovereignty of God. Now, the overwhelming problems, they're just going to vary from person to person. It could be a loved one deceived by the devil, a loved one enslaved by sin. It could be marriage problems, financial problems, problems with our children, illness. Uh, there's just no telling what our overwhelming problems will be. But when these problems arise, and, and they always arise, we will have a choice to make about what our focus will be in prayer. Will we focus on the size of our problem, or will we focus on the greatness and power of our God? And in a lot of ways, what we focus on in that time of prayer, when we're crying out to God, it will determine whether we're defeated in doubt or whether we're filled in faith. Now we know God has demonstrated His power. He has demonstrated His power in creation when He spoke the world into being. He demonstrated His power in Egypt when He conquered Egypt by sending plagues among the, the Egyptians that proved His superiority over the false gods of Egypt. Right, So we, we know the power of God. We're aware of the stories. We have to believe those stories are true. God really did do those things. But that's not the end of it. At the same time, we also must confess it. We must speak it. So now, I'm not 100% sure why. But there is something incredibly powerful about verbalizing our faith in God's power. And I'm not talking about believing it in our heart. I'm talking about actively expressing it out loud with our mouths. I mean, there is something powerful about doing that in our prayers. And, and we see this all throughout Scripture. This is what Hezekiah does. If we were to go to the book of Nehemiah, we would see Nehemiah praying early on in chapters 1 and 2. This is what Nehemiah does. Remember, O oh God, your covenant. You gave us the land. He, he declares the greatness, the goodness, the power of God. This is what Daniel does. When we read through the book of Daniel and Daniel goes off to pray, frequently Daniel prays and he prays. Not so much this is the problem, but God, you are the God who did this. You are the God of that. Help in this need, O oh God. In the book of Acts, Acts 4, the apostles are threatened. They're told to preach no more in the name of Jesus. They gather the church together to pray. They tell the problem. They express what happened. And then they begin to declare, to confess the God's power. You are sovereign. Why do the nations rage? Right? And we see it over and over and over again. We see it all throughout the Psalms. I mean, think about it. Keep in mind the Psalms, by and large, are either songs or prayers 
or someone's personal devotion. And how many of those songs and prayers and personal devotions are people who are overwhelmed declaring the greatness, the power, and the goodness of their God? This is one reason I'm such a big proponent of praying Scripture. Praying Scripture will help us focus on the greatness of God and not just on the size of our problem. Praying Scripture will continually point us beyond the problem to the great and the awesome God who can handle our problem. Praying Scripture will lead us to confess God's power. It is, there is, again, I can't express why, but I know for me, when I begin to pray that way, there is something of faith building, of encouraging, of strength that happens within me. As I, in, in a lot of ways, all I'm doing is reminding myself of how great, how awesome, how good my God is. It is really important for us to verbally confess God's power in these times where we are crying out to God. Overwhelming problems should cause us to cry out to God. And crying out to God includes confessing God's power. And then finally, pray for God to be glorified. The last part of Hezekiah's prayer. Save thou us out of his hand, that all the kings of the earth may know that thou art the Lord, even thou only. He wants God to do something to prove To all the nations of the earth there is only one God. And his name is Yahweh. Now keep in mind in Hezekiah's day wars were considered to be spiritual battles. All wars were considered to be spiritual battles. And when a nation won it was said their God was stronger than the nation who was conquered. So the idea in this part of Hezekiah's prayer is he wants the result of whatever God does to testify to a watching world, to these pagans. The God of Israel is not like these gods who have been cut up and tossed into the fire. The God of Israel is not like the gods the Assyrians serve. The God of Israel is the one true God. He is not the most powerful God among many. He alone, He alone is God. He wants God to be glorified. Through this problem. Now honestly. I believe. This is the hardest part. Of crying out to the Lord. And I mean this for two reasons. First we really have to mean it. And that's that's a key thing. It's not. Saying God be glorified. It can't be just an extra that we tack on. We have to really want God to be glorified. But God isn't some low self-esteem, insecure creature we can butter up to get our way. And it's not like God's sitting back going, am I worthy of being glorified? Am I really great? Oh, and we're saying, God, you're awesome. God, be glorified. And he's like, I am awesome, aren't I? And he does. He can't be manipulated like that. We we actually have to mean it. If we're going to pray, God, however you do this, whatever you do in this situation, prove your greatness, you prove your glory, you prove you are God. 
We have to really want that to happen. It cannot be just an added thing we tack on to kind of bribe God. He cannot be bribed. He cannot be manipulated in that way. So we have to really mean it. Second reason it's so hard. Praying for God to be glorified through a problem. It's really a prayer of surrender. It's saying God handle this problem. In the way you know will bring you the most glory. And the reason this is hard is because very often what will bring God the most glory. Or what God knows will bring him the most glory is not what we think will bring him the most glory. That's a difficult thing. As I was studying this day, I was reminded of, of just Lizzie with this. I mean, when we were in the NICU, when, when Lizzie was born and having all those problems, we, we did pray for God to be glorified through that situation, through her. But in, in my mind, as I prayed, what would bring God the most glory would be for her to be healed. Not that if she were walking and talking and doing penny march and all of these things now, it would be a, a, a testimony of a healing, miracle-working God. And what would bring Him more glory than that? And yet, this isn't what God has chosen to do. God has chosen to bring glory through, to Himself through Lizzie in ways not involving her being healed. Well, that wasn't what I anticipated. It wasn't what I prayed for. It wasn't what I expected. But it, I mean, it's not just Lizzie with that. I, I was thinking today of Johnny Erickson Tata. You know, she was, I can't remember if she's a quadriplegic or a paraplegic, but she just dove off a cliff and crippled herself and prayed to be healed, but wasn't. And has lived the majority of her life in a wheelchair. She, she, her testimony is God has been glorified through her in that situation far more than he would have been had she been healed or had she not been in the wheelchair. That's a hard thing. I mean, that's a, a, a hard thing to think about. A prayer for God to be glorified through our problem is a prayer where we surrender the results to God. Now, we may express what we prefer God to do. But in the end, we're leaving it in His hand to do what He knows will bring Him the most glory. Can we accept God's choice to bring Him glory if this choice isn't our preference? If this choice isn't our fix in the way we think it ought to be fixed? That's why praying for God to be glorified is hard. Because we are leaving it in His hands. And we're, we may well be saying, this is what I, I think will bring you glory. But you do what you know will bring you the most glory. And then can we accept it if what he knows is different than what we can envision in our minds? Overwhelming problems should cause us to cry out to God. Crying out to God includes praying for God to be glorified. Verses 20 and 21, God sends a message to Isaiah. That which thou hast prayed to me against the king of Assyria, I have heard. And God gives a message. And interesting, that which thou hast prayed, in, in other translations in the King James, says, because you have prayed. And it brings to mind, God was always going to work in this problem, but he was waiting on Hezekiah to pray about it. Isn't that interesting? And that goal is like James saying, you have not because you 
Ask not. Anyway. And what God was going to do in Hezekiah was going to be pretty great. King of Assyria was called home. When he arrived home, he went to the temple to worship his God. One of his sons killed him. And that son fled. And another son became king. Everything was kind of huzzah for Hezekiah. Uh, not great for the king of Assyria, but great for Hezekiah. And this is where it gets hard, though. Because I would love to say this is how it always turns out, right? You you follow the guideline. You cry out to God when you're overwhelmed. And you spread it out before the Lord. You confess God's power. You pray for God to be glorified. Bada bing, bada boom. The bad guys die. Everything works out. And we all just praise the Lord and go on about our daily business. That's really, unfortunately, not the way it always works out. God doesn't always answer the way we think He should. He doesn't always do what we want Him to do. However, that doesn't mean there's no benefit to this. Because when, what I have found is when I cry out to the Lord when I'm overwhelmed, one, I do receive peace about it. I go from feeling like I'm drowning to thinking, okay, I can make it. I'm not, I'm not going to die under the weight of this. Two, I become more aware of things God is doing. Ways God is working, whether in my life or in the particular problem I'm praying about. But God always hears. God always responds in some ways. And when we pray, it does focus us more on Him and makes us more aware of His power. I would love, I would love there to be a three-step method of fixing all of our problems. But that's just not in the Bible. There are ways to pray that give us peace. There are ways to pray that help us to get a breakthrough in our lives. There are ways to pray to lay it all out before the Lord. God cannot be manipulated. And God cannot be made to do anything. There are no steps. And if you do these three things, God has to do this in response. God is God, and we're not. So this doesn't fix it, but it can bring peace. It can renew our hope. It can renew our eyes so that we see what God is doing. It is a way to get, in some ways, out from underneath the load so that it's not crushing us. Strengthens. There's so much benefit from praying in this way when we feel overwhelmed. But as much as I would like to say this is the way to get it done, there's just not anything like that in Scripture. We pray and we leave it to God. And then He deals in the person or the situation how He deems best. Let's pray. Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome. You are worthy of our prayer, worthy of our devotion. We 
we have just a, a mixed multitude of problems in here tonight. And you know each and every one of them. And there is none that we that we have on our heart beyond your power. You're able to save the lost we're broken about. You're able to restore the prodigal. You're able to heal the marriages. You're able to, to deliver people from sin. You, you are able. God, you are greater than whatever is, is burdening us. You can do all things. Lord, we absolutely, we believe that. We know that. So we ask as Hezekiah did, save thou us. And do it in such a way that you receive all the glory. Do it in such a way it testifies to all who see There is a God in heaven. And Jesus Christ is His Son. Use whatever is going on in our lives to glorify Your name, to advance Your gospel, to lift up Christ that all would be drawn to Him. We ask this in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen.